Hello, and welcome to Quality Time with Rick and Rob, the show that talks about technology and more. I'm Rick Beaupre, and as always, I'm joined by Rob DeLeon. Hey, everyone. Hey, so Rob, last episode, we talked about collaboration and voice, which I thought was a great episode with Matt Guerrera. Yeah, I love Matt. Uh, the The amount of expertise that he brought to the to the show is uh, far exceeds my own. So, very happy to have Matt on. Yeah, today we're going to talk about another solutions technology that boomed during the pandemic, uh, cloud solutions. So, we're going to cover why cloud solutions are advantageous to organizations. Talk about cloud providers. Talk about cost optimization and misconceptions of the cloud. So, to talk about that, we have Neil Major our cloud practice director. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So Neil, we're looking forward to get your take on the different experiences you've had, what you're seeing out in the uh, world. Yeah, it, it is pretty interesting. There's always this push to the cloud. And you know, one of the things that we always move back to is what are the business drivers? They, they tend to get forgotten. Um, all of a sudden there's an initiative, oh, we have to get moved to the cloud. And then they shift to the cloud. And then come the complaints. Look how expensive it is. This lift and shift occurs, and then they forget the rest of it. They forget optimizing. They forget making sure that the cloud is the right place for those applications to be running and those workloads to be running. Not everything needs to move to the cloud. Um, you know, some things you want to move to the cloud because you want to save money in your data center. Some things move to the cloud because you're going to re-architect, for example, to have the elasticity of the cloud and, and those are good reasons to move to the cloud if you're moving a workload and it's going to be running 24 7 uh, you might as well keep it in your data center if you're not going to make it leverage the elasticity of the cloud that's a really expensive move um, so you know understanding why you're moving to the cloud what you're moving to the cloud and the best way to move it are really key things and a lot of that gets forgotten until the bills start rolling in <laughs> yeah, and I think you, you nailed it on the head there, Neil. Um, you know, I think we heard from Monik in our first episode of season one here that Aqueduct, when it was founded, was really a cloud play. Uh, essentially, which was, if you've ever seen our website or our logos, uh, the Aqueduct is taking the water. Uh, out literally out of the clouds uh, and funneling that back to the town as a water source, uh, Aqueduct is meant to bring your data to and from the cloud uh, to where it resides. So Aqueduct was founded just around the cloud principle. And that was, you know, obviously a decade ago where Mana kind of saw that opportunity. I think Recently, there's been a huge uptick in that to see uh, not only the elasticity, the flexibility of what the cloud can bring, especially as workers are kind of working from it anywhere um, geographically, that you know the cloud found itself, found its footing, found that business driver, as you say, Neil, to become fully adopted. Um, Neil, what are some of the major reasons why someone would want to look at the cloud and see if it's right for them if you know this is kind of their first experience with considering moving applications or, or workloads to the cloud we actually have workshops where we can help companies with this aspect of it because it's not quite as clear as it seems um but you need to look at each of your workloads. And there's these things called the six R's or the seven R's, which are rehost, replatform, refactor, repurchase, retire. 
retain, right? So that's the buzzwords around cloud. And it's like, what are you really going to do with that workload? Why are you moving it? Um, you know, in a lot of cases, companies are trying to save money. They don't want the responsibility of the data center anymore in some cases. And that goes to the shared responsibility model. If you move to the cloud, you don't have the physical responsibility of your infrastructure. That's the cloud provider's responsibility, but you've got responsibility for everything else, right? You still have to deal with operating systems and all that. So it's not a, it's not free. Um, and there is maintenance. You, you are shifting some of the workload to different kinds of skill sets. Um, and maybe that's a better skill set for your organization. Uh, you know, not having people actually pulling wires and, and, you know, building out data centers. And then when you look at the applications, what are you planning on doing with those? Are you building them in house? Are they third party applications? Um, in some cases, those third-party applications have versions that run in the cloud. So the software of a service may be a better, better match for what you're doing, or the licensing has changed. If you're building them in-house and you've got these monoliths, these giant applications, and you're going to continue with those big applications, well, re-architecting into microservices or serverless may be a better way to go, or a containerization strategy for those. But you need to look at those and what's going on. Um, breaking up a huge monolith into a lot of microservices also has its issues. And you don't necessarily have to break the whole thing up. You can still have a smaller monolith that doesn't get used very often. And your microservices can leverage the elasticity and scaling of the cloud so that, you know, if your workload is, well, for example, I was in an education technology company before joining Aqueduct. There was no real load between, you know, in July and August. And then during the school year, the load goes up and the load is really high for those technologies between 6 p.m. and two in the morning. Um, so you scale then, but nobody's doing homework, you know, in August, nobody's doing homework on holidays, nobody's doing homework at nine in the morning. Students are sleeping and they're in class then, right? So those are places where you can look at your application and say, we need the elasticity of the cloud to scale at certain times of the day. And we could probably save 70% of our costs because uh, we only have to peak scale to that peak 30% of the time. The rest of the time it's unused. If you purchase equipment and hardware for that, then you've got a really underutilized system, right? 30% of the time it gets used 70% of the time that that hardware is just sitting there. And that's a great example of where you want to leverage the cloud. Um, so basically you need to look at where you are, what your use case is, what your loads are like. Um, uh, the other places for services, machine learning and AI are huge, right? They're growing like crazy these days. And a lot of that is because the cloud providers like Google and Amazon are, ha are coming up with these tools that make it much easier for companies to leverage those technologies. And because of that, uh, using those services in the cloud may be a reason for being in the cloud and leveraging them. Uh, you know, and just because you're in AWS doesn't mean you can't use best of breed services that are in Google. You can have your infrastructure in AWS, for example, because price-wise it's best for you, but then use Google's machine learning capabilities if you wanted to. Um, 
So it's a case by case basis and you have to see where you are now, where you want to be and what you're doing with those applications, whether they're your applications or a third party application. Neil, you bring up a good point. I hear that a lot where folks are like, corporate stuff has to be on Azure, development has to be on AWS, blockchain and financial transactions should be on Google or education. And I think you just clarified that, you know, that it doesn't matter. It's what's the best cost. What other kind of false news that we hear out there that you seem to run into and people have this misconception on? Yeah, you know, to your point that you just brought up, uh, Rick, you know, people say, oh, it's a Microsoft product. I have to run that on Azure. And they're, most of their work, most of their loads are running on AWS. And they're thinking, oh, now I need an Azure um, Azure infrastructure to run that. That's not the case. Um, uh, you can run Microsoft products perfectly well on AWS if you want to. And you can leverage, you know, ML on Microsoft and leverage AWS and, and Google products if you need to. But just because you're running Microsoft does not mean you need to be running on Azure. What you really need to do is, again, look at what you're running and do some cost analysis. There are tools out there. And what we would do is, uh, you know, we can also bring in solution architects from these cloud providers to help with a migrations. Some of these cloud providers will provide money for the migrations, but also you know, show you what those costs are going to be. We have tools that run on Microsoft and AWS, for example, that'll look at your workloads and, you know, give you the cost of running them on um, on the different cloud providers. And that includes the cost of those licenses, right? Um, you know, there are benefits to running Microsoft licensed products on Azure, but they may or may not be cheaper than running them on AWS when you look at what your total spend is and what your total bills are going to be. Um, you know, enterprise deals help change the, the nature of the way that your spend is uh, shown. And, you know, you can't just always look at the one application. Sometimes you need to look at your whole what your whole enterprise is doing to understand what those costs are going to be. Um, and that's why if somebody's moving, you know, to the cloud, uh, we shouldn't just assume one cloud provider over another. We really need to do a, a cost benefit analysis on each one. And we have the tools to do that. Yeah, absolutely, Neil. And I think this is something I was going to ask you about, which is certainly in my experience with the cloud, one of the the big things has been that cost uh, analysis around, you know, which cloud is right for you, how to utilize that cloud correctly. I think um, all the providers have come a long way in in providing some sort of tools or capabilities, whether it be, you know, reserved instances or any of the cost optimization tools that they have even natively within the environments themselves. They've come a long way in trying to be transparent with the cost and ways to save money. And I don't know of a whole lot of products out there that provide a tool on how to not pay uh, the company themselves as much as you are currently paying them. So um, I think they've come a long way in that, but I think as you you nailed it on the head with some of this uh, cost analysis, it, it's not always cut and dry with kind of the uh, the big three as they're known now. Um, ironically, I think uh, Google GCP is no longer third uh, as far as cloud providers goes anymore. So what I was going to ask you, Neil, in, in terms of kind of co-mingling clouds, 
We've seen Microsoft with their partnership with IBM move uh, machine learning and AI type opportunities to work both in the uh, IBM cloud as well as Azure and and bring some of those shared services. Do you see uh, kind of the big three working together? Do you see other companies providing their own kind of cloud powered products? What, What do you see as far as interoperability between these clouds going forward? Um, given where Amazon Web Services is in, I, I don't necessarily see them doing that. Everybody's playing catch up to them and trying to leverage whatever they can to catch up to AWS. And I think AWS is basically moving forward with adding new services, trying to keep costs down, coming up with new ways of, of you know, reducing spend and making it more efficient, but, you know, obviously getting more people in there. I could see the other cloud providers uh, working more together to provide additional services to make them more attractive relative to uh, the Amazon example. Um, because yeah, Amazon doesn't need to do anything, right? They're there. They're number one. Um, Microsoft needs to catch up in a lot of areas, but they also have all the Microsoft licensing that they that marketing makes it really simple seemingly, you know, hey, just run it on Azure. And we discussed that aspect a few minutes ago. Uh, IBM's trying to get in there. Uh, Oracle's trying to get in there. Uh, you know, there's there's a bunch. Um, I, I think one of the equalizers, though, is, is, is VMware, right? Hey, let's help you simplify uh, how you're doing things so that you can leverage multiple clouds. So, you know, their purchase of Pivotal, now called Tanzu, gives you containerization platforms that you can run on-prem, on Amazon, in Azure. And for all intents and purposes, you throw one switch and you end up deploying to whichever area you want to go. So you could run development on-prem and then using your same tools and pipelines, have it deployed into one of the cloud providers. And they're really simplifying that aspect of it. And then, you know, once you're deployed into the cloud, you're leveraging those services anyway. So I I see things like HashiCorp's Terraform uh, helping simplify the use of the cloud through tools and VMware's Tanzu for simplifying how you're deploying and leveraging those, you know, aspects of the cloud so that you can run in more than one cloud. I don't know that I'm going to see a lot of the big boys combining services like Microsoft and Amazon and IBM. I mean, I I think that's going to be kind of limited. I think we're going to see more of the VMware purchasing companies like Tanzu to beef up what they have to help leverage. Yeah, and it's really going to be on the the business, right? The customer to bring in all these different cloud services. We're even seeing different companies... um, come in and forming, you know, services like data lakes and all that. Can you talk a minute about that? Um, I think you have a good analogy where you talk about the three cloud components and using the best for that particular application or that particular use case, and then tying in either data lakes or behavior analytics based on different components and merging those all together. Can you talk about that for a sec? Sure. I personally am not in the cloud agnostic camp. 
Um, I think if you're trying to be cloud agnostic, you end up with a least common denominator um, of everything. And your engineers being become cloud agnostic engineers, and they are not leveraging the full services of any of the particular cloud advisors. I, I generally like the concept of if you're going to commit to the cloud, commit to the cloud and leverage it. By increasing the amount that you're doing in any particular cloud, you can reduce your costs by scaling, right? It's it's the economics of scale. They'll give you bigger discounts the more you spend, right? If you distribute over multiple clouds, you're not going to get that. But I am an advocate of the uh, best of breed services, right? So you can run all your infrastructure in one cloud and you can leverage services in another cloud. They're just, you know, Great simplification here. It's just a URL, right? Your database your, or your data lake can be running in one location on one cloud provider and you can access it. Now, there, there may be issues with lag or other things that you may need to take into consideration. Uh, in a lot of cases, you know, you've got direct connect like on AWS and they're really part of your network. So you can mitigate a lot of those things. But I do like looking at those best of breed services that you can leverage for things like ML and AI and, and keeping that independent of where your infrastructure is. Those, those don't have to be the same decision, right? You don't have to make all those trade-offs, which gets complicated. And then you can leverage companies like Snowflake, right? And, you know, take advantage of these companies that are built for the data lake and doing that behavioral analytics, which is one of the bigger trends coming. Yeah, Neil, I think those are all great points. And and honestly, I think I have uh, so many jumping off points for that. I think that's going to stretch really into our next episode uh, where we want to have you back, Neil, dive into a few of those items like the multi-cloud environment, Snowflake. I know we haven't really even touched on applications as much as the, you know, the security side of what it means to go to the cloud. So I think we'll save that for our second episode with you. We'll follow up, do another one right with you. I think for right now, we'll, we'll move over into uh, everybody's favorite segment, which is our Let's Taco About It segment, where we take listener questions and uh, answer those while we enjoy our tacos from some of our local restaurants in an effort to support the local community as we uh, exit the, the pandemic here. So, um, Neil, I want to say... First off, thank you for a great episode, and we're excited to have you back and wrap things up in the next episode. Any any final thoughts for our listeners? Uh, no, this has been a great experience. I'm looking forward to um, to the next segment as well. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So just a reminder to submit questions. You can send those to marketing at aqueducttech.com or uh, you can go to the website. We've got the podcast up there uh, where you can get the links to uh, listen to all of the other episodes as well as to submit your own question. Thank you. And, and we'll, uh, we'll get on to, to tacos. I cannot wait for tacos. Well, Rick, what I did, I cheated a little bit this episode. Uh, I went to a local place in Burlington that I usually enjoy going for some libations after work for, which is the Yard House in Burlington. Um, and they have a whole selection of street 
taco type uh, offerings and and they've got a great carne asada taco. So that's what I'll be enjoying for this episode. And as always, I went local. So this time I went over to Lawrence, Mass to El Taco Guapo. It's a fantastic place. Um, The tacos I have are, it's like a triple threat. It's grilled steak and fried pork and eggs and wow. That sounds right up your your alley. I mean, that's a that's a very interesting mix of things to put on a taco. Well, there's not a bad thing on a taco to put on, right? No, not not at all. Unless it's uh, you know not going to be consumed by you, then it doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, don't get me started on the dessert taco, right? There's a whole other episode <laughs> where it's hey. not even a taco. It's an ice cream sandwich. Stop it, people. We're going to get into this because I love an ice cream taco, but we'll, we'll save that for, for later. And we actually have a special guest that also loves tacos. Neil, can you give us a little background on the tacos that you have? Yeah, so I was listening to those blog posts, and the, the podcasts, and I'm like, why aren't the guests eating tacos too? This is a, this is a problem. So I jumped in on the tacos, and we, we had a serious decision uh, in my house around where we were getting the tacos from. And one was Korean tacos. There's a really good uh, Asian fusion restaurant in Westford that does these killer Korean tacos. But we went with just standard street tacos. Well, they weren't standard from Eridura Bahia in Chelmsford, which were really good. The tortillas were a tad on the dry side, but I think that was because it was takeout. You know, it's always better when you're eating in house. But they were uh, there was a chicken, a pork, and and a beef, and they were just phenomenal. And we also got the ceviche. Oh my god, that was just crazy good. And I think you uh, had some beverages to go with it, which I am not. I'm drinking water. Well, but of course. So I, I made a deal with my son. If he went to pick them up, I would make the margaritas. So I, I made a simple syrup with this butterfly pea flower, which gives you this deep sapphire blue. And then when you add an acid to it, like lime or lemon, it turns magenta. So um, if you pour it right, you end up with this, you know, gradient shade of, uh, you know, from blue to red. And so we had some pretty killer margaritas. They were pretty tasty and very pretty to look at. That's awesome. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a, that was the best taco description I think we've had so far. So uh, I think Neil's trying to work his way into get invited back so he can get more tacos. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a question from our last episode, um, which is kind of an interesting one. So the question is, what is the difference between cloud and cloud native? So since you're joining us, Neil, I'll, I'll spin that one to you. Oh, that's interesting. So, man, I'll bet you can find a lot of different definitions, but I'll, I'll give you my take on it. And, I'm, you know, since since I'm the guest and I'm the cloud architect, that's the, that's the definition we'll go with. Uh, I consider the cloud as the infrastructure and services that are provided by a cloud service provider, such as Google, Amazon, and uh, Azure. That's the cloud. Um, basically, it's a, it's a remote data center that you're purchasing um, purchasing uh, services and compute from. Uh, cloud native is how an application behaves in the cloud. 
does it leverage the elasticity of the cloud? Can it scale up and down uh, as opposed to the old school monoliths that just once they're deployed, you know, you need to they're, they're always using the same amount of resources no matter what. Right. So no matter how many people are using it, it's using the same resources, whereas if you've got a cloud native application, uh, you'll actually end up running many, many instances of that same application uh, in order to provide for the number of users. And then you you run less uh, instances of that when you don't need them. And there's typically always a minimum of three for some redundancy uh, running of a particular cloud native application, and then you'll scale up from there. Um, those applications can be running directly in an instance uh, or virtual machine running in the cloud, or it can be in a microservice running in a container. Um, you know, so as it scales, you'll have multiple containers running multiple uh, instances of that. So I separate it from the cloud provider versus what is running in the cloud. Oh, that's a great answer on that. I love these questions, Kevin. By the way, Rob, you got to get plantains on your tacos. This is phenomenal. Tacos should be in no way healthy. <laughs> well, I got to do something. I'm getting older. I got to make sure I enjoy my tacos. And that's why we include the margaritas with them. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why we have a different take on uh, dessert tacos, because I think, you know, you can have an unhealthy taco. Now you're instigating me. So, Neil, one more question for you. And uh, this is not... delicious. Is that your question? But I yes, it is. I Why are they so delicious? <laughs> no, it's what are microservices? So I hear a lot of talk about, you know, and you, I think you mentioned the last question, monolithic versus microservices. Uh, could you just talk about that real quick? Sure. When we used to build applications, we would build one large application, right? It was just a lot. It was a program and you would run that program and that's your application. Um that's the way we used to do it. The problem with that is anytime you want to make a change to it, you've got to redeploy the whole thing. And if you've got a large application and a large development team with, say, hundreds of developers working on it, you end up with the big bang theory of changes, right? You, you release once a month or once every couple of months, you've got hundreds of changes to it. And then when things go bad, because they will go bad, it takes hours and many people to figure out where those issues are. Um, microservices are, if you take that big application and say, I'm going to divide that into a lot of little pieces. One, instead of having an interface into that, that can do a hundred different things, right? If I make a hundred small applications and each application just does one thing, um, then if there's a problem with that one thing, it's really easy to change and it doesn't affect all the others. In addition, I can scale each of those independently. So that's why they're called microservices. Uh, they are each very small services and only used when you need them. And it allows for a much simplified deployment. However, uh, there are complexities with that. You need to get into what's called CICD which is continuous integration, continuous deployment in order to deploy those microservices. So you kind of shifting 
your problems around a little bit. Even though you've got smaller deployments, you've got much more intelligent deployment processes. Uh, that was way cool. I love hearing you talk about that different stuff. So there's, an, there's some great books that I have read by, I don't know if you guys have read books from Gerald Weinberg at all. He wrote a few books. One is The Secrets of Consulting. Another is Are Your Lights On? And he does some systems thinking books as well. And we'll probably talk about that more pretty soon. But one of his quotes from his Secrets of Consulting book is once you eliminate your number one problem, number two gets a promotion. And every time I think about, you know, oh, we're going to do microservices. Well, if your number one problem is breaking up your application into microservices uh, and your number two problem is how to manage your applications, well, once you're in a microservice, now managing those applications and those deployments now become your number one problem, right? So every time I think about microservices, I think about that quote, you know, you eliminate one problem, but your number two problem just got a promotion and now you got to deal with that. Yeah. And I think that's a great take on it. And, you know, I think part part of the reason we're going to have a second episode with, with you, Neil, in here is I think we could probably get into microservices and CICD and uh, DevOps and, and everything for its own episode. So I think that's what we're going to do. So we'll stop it here. Neil, I, I want to, again, appreciate you coming on this this show and and also sticking around for our talk talk about it our, our segment obviously when we answer questions uh, we already talked about how to submit those questions but just to remind everyone marketing at aqueducttech.com or via our website um, and Rick uh, this was a great episode I'm looking forward to continuing it again next uh, episode as well uh, and I'm sure you're ready for for round two as well. I am. And keep the questions coming. This is amazing that we're getting these questions. So as Rob said, marketing at aqueducttech.com. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, everyone.